Welcome to this episode of Encounter Cottage Grove, a podcast about the people of a small rural Oregon community of Cottage Grove. We share small town stories that explore the big issues. I'm your co-host, Rosie Foraker. And I'm Josh Fatal, and then we have some logistics to share with you. First off, you can email us at encountercg at gmail.com. We really hope to hear from you. All the feedback we have gotten has been extremely helpful. Another way to contact us, to be sure, is to leave an audio message on the Anchor app. You be sure to follow us on Twitter as well, and all that information will be on the show notes page, so be sure to check out the show notes. We'd also really appreciate your help in getting the word out about this podcast. The best way to do that is to talk to your friends about the podcast and encourage them to listen. Other ways are through social media. Please share the podcast, rate it positively, favorite it, and write a good review. All that said, thanks for listening, and let's get to it. Welcome to this episode of Encounter Cottage Grove. I wanted to do a quick intro to this episode. Today's episode is with David Gardpe. He is the founder, director of EcoGeneration, which is an amazing waste management and recycling and education organization that has sprung and developed right here in Cottage Grove and is in the midst of expanding. The episode is uh, really awesome. This is sort of my wheelhouse of environmental issues. Uh, my personal interests lie there greatly. And just before I we launch into the episode, I wanted to send my well wishes and safe safety thoughts to all the people who are affected by the local fires that um, have sprung up in the last 24 hours. Uh, as I record this, I'm looking out my window to some smoky blustery conditions. And I know a lot of people up the 126, especially Mackenzie River area, are being affected. And I hope that we can do an episode on that issue that we have here in the Pacific Northwest with especially this summer of 2020 being an unprecedented year for wildfires, both in Oregon, California, and uh, our entire region. So anyway, my thoughts are with everybody, and I uh, hope you enjoy this episode. Maybe take your mind off of the fires. Um, Yeah, so enjoy the listen. Um, hi, welcome to another recording of, uh, the Cottage Grove podcast. Um, today we have, uh, an interview that's been in the making for months. Um, we have, uh, David 
you say <laughs> we were just going over uh how i've been pronouncing his last name incorrectly for a while and uh so yeah um so david is the founder could i call you the founder yep. of eco generation um do you want to just give a little synopsis of what eco generation is and um then we'll get into some other questions but i, I just want to lay the land of what eco generation does and maybe how it started so eco generation started three years ago on august 22nd as a facebook page and the goal of eco generation really was to just kind of get people to start talking about waste and how to reduce it and honestly it was kind of a i needed to figure out what to do to recycle plastic because at that point, Lane County had dropped it out of commingle and at transfer stations. That was sad when that happened. That was very sad. And it was it all fallout from the China situation where we were sending massive amounts of contamination across the world to China, calling it recycling, and it couldn't be recycled. So ultimately, I figured if it took me a lot of work to get to where I was on how I understood recycling. I can only imagine what other people felt. Mm -hmm. So that's how eco generation started. Uh, about two years into it, um, we had amassed a lot of information, had a few programs for recycling odds and ends and started forming the nonprofit site. And, and at the same time, Lane County came out with the community collector model of we'll accept two, four, five plastics if they meet these standards. Uh, we'll come back to those standards in a few minutes. Um, but we signed up as community collectors and honestly just started out at a farmer's market. And every Thursday we would be there teaching people about waste and taking the recycling and that's essentially how we started and that was in cottage grove right that, that was in yeah. cottage grove mm -hmm. at the south valley farmers market which was unique to the county something like that happening right it was unique i wouldn't say to the county because the saturday market does do the recycling stations but they don't necessarily to my knowledge accept recycling there mm -hmm. um i would say it was very unique in that we were the only ones in rural areas. Mm -hmm. And we focused not only on the education aspect, but also on our desire was to actually get people engaged in recycling. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was essentially three years ago you started that? So a year ago is when we started recycling. The actual for the physical take backs. Correct. Wow. So it's pretty. It's it is fairly new yes. this this and I, and i have to say you know i uh for, come to the farmers market and stuff and i quickly i feel like it quickly gained momentum um in terms of people getting excited and the take backs happening um i personally th thought it was awesome and something amazing happened too with the recycling because it it grew beyond these number two four and five yes um i think the first recycling take back i came to you had many more bins than that to collect things so our very first recycling take back we actually had already expanded beyond two four five mm -hmm. um 
I had gone to the master recycler, Shauna, who was already at the markets, and I said, hey, I can recycle some weird stuff. Right. And Who's Shauna? Shauna Nye. Shauna Nye. And uh, she, who is she, just to give the listeners so an idea? Shauna Nye is a master recycler, and at the time she was a city employee. And you worked together, And right? her and I were working together. Um, very quickly, she loved the idea of eco-generation, kind of put herself under that umbrella as much as she could while also being there on behalf of the city. Mm -hmm. um, and then as we moved out of that realm, Shauna became, she's actually the vice president of our board of directors. Mm, and cool. so that's where she sits now. She's a very big part of what we do in our presence in Cottage Grove, especially right now. But ultimately, we went to her and said, hey, we can recycle personal care items and we can recycle cigarette butts. And let's see what we can do from there. At that same time, the community collector program came on board. And so within two weeks, Shauna and I were actually collecting recycling. So it went from an idea to in process in two weeks. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, let's, let's just list. I, so I went on your website and, um, I'm going to list, uh, some of what you list on your website that you take back as of now, yes. uh, two, four and five plastics, number one bottles. And these are the little triangle numbers that are on plastics. Um, number one bottles, jugs, and tubes, nutritional packaging, personal care packaging, plastic bags, deposit containers, Plastic caps and lids. I was excited about that. Razors and packaging, shipping materials, styrofoam, HP cartridges, cartridges, air fresheners, cigarette filters, and dispensary pop tops. And this like literally makes up thousands of items when you dig into the categories of these because you know, um, you know, nutritional packaging, that's a pretty broad, so that must mean a and lot And it of is, and it's actually health and nutritional. So it's pretty much any packaging that's an over-the-counter product from any pharmacy. Which is incredible. So this is a huge list, and I don't think we see this kind of offering of recycling. So how did you... Um, I do want to get into your personal background, too, but I also am wondering how you you know, went from the two, four, five cigarette butts and whatever you just said to all of this. Is this, where do you find these streams? They call them streams, right? When you... Streams are when it is a subjugated set of recycling. Yes. Right. And so some of it is TerraCycle and it was a lot of work and a lot of negotiations to get into some of the streams that they had already had full and maxed out. Um, and so it was also... A long waiting period so for, for the personal care stream I was on a waiting list for almost three years Wow! well before eco generation even started is when I signed up to just one thing right um, because for me it doesn't matter how much I'm always going even if it's something you only use once or twice mm -hmm. if I can find a way to recycle it I'm going to start accepting it right um, and so it's just scouring the internet, using various resources. Some of these programs are actually available in Lane County. So styrofoam you can take to St. Vincent de Paul residentially, um, and they have a limit. 
plastic film, so plastic bags, you can do that at grocery stores. Mm -hmm. The issue is, is it's not convenient. It's not easily accessible to people who live in rural areas. Right. And so we took and found all these free streams and put them under one roof. Right. And wrapped it in a bow with convenience. Yeah. And so, and then from there, we also now deal in material exchange. So we take on certain things that actually won't be recycled. They get directly reused. Mm. And so that is a huge key component. Everyone thinks we recycle everything. And I think they would be surprised to find out just how much is actually reused. What, um, can you give an, a couple examples of things that get taken back and that get reused? So some of the health and nutritional pill bottles that we get, mm. if they're in a condition in which they can go through a wash through one of our partners and all of the labels and everything come off in this wash and they will literally ship them to a different country where they are legally permitted to reuse pill bottles. Oh, wow. So those little orange bottles people get uh, medications Actually, and... no. So things like Tylenol bottles. Oh, okay. And Advil. These are bottles that literally would have never been reused. Right. Prescription bottles have actually been reused for decades. And so if you shipped them, if you as a consumer shipped them yourself, you can ship them to Doctors Without Borders and they'd reuse them. Uh, many veterinarians will reuse them. And so it's just... This is a lot of information you're trying to find and scour. And as a normal, average individual who's just trying to get rid of something you don't want anymore, right? It's probably you're probably not that likely to go that deep. Well, it's a lot of it's a lot of research, and yes. it's a lot of different locations, and it's a lot of different streams, and a lot of different protocols, and a lot of different cleanliness levels, and yep. a lot of different kinds of things. Um, and so that's what's so beautiful about eco-generation and you did inspire me to look up and I found TerraCycle which mm -hmm. apparently is one of your streams and they do have these boxes like if you're listening and you're outside of the eco-generation area there are this website and you buy the box from yes. them and then they ship you the box and you fill it so you're paying to recycle, but it's cool because you can buy different size boxes and you can stuff them, but it's a lot of boxes. But you can... Like, if you really start want to do it all, yes. it's like uh, 50 different boxes that and you're going to buy. <laughs> we actually don't even use very many of those boxes. We only use the plastic packaging. And right. that's for a stream you didn't mention, which is our $20 paper bag stream. It's the only stream we actually charge money for. Because right. we have to take that money and in turn spend it. To right. actually get that recycled. But the materials we accept in that stream are things that literally have never been recycled curbside. And things that cost money to recycle because there's no value in that material. Right. Well, it's... um. I don't know. It was very inspiring to hear, you know, those like Advil bottles. When I think of all the plastics in my life and how just durable and strong and still usable so much of this, um, uh, we call it trash. And I think um, a good distinction that has been made, you know, in the, I don't know when it was transferred over to the word waste instead of the word trash, because the word waste indicates we're, we're not doing it right. Correct. So the word waste is all-encompassing. 
it includes everything that's you you're done with whether that's your recycling your trash or stuff you give to thrift stores stuff like that mm -hmm. and the reason for that is for you that is waste you're no longer using it mm -hmm. and so then that's when you actually look into the various categories yes trash is still there but essentially that is landfill incinerator that is not an area that we want to promote waste going to right and and that's sort of the bigger goal and the education piece of what you're doing too that is this whole other layer which is getting people to think more about their waste and to how do we get to a place where every every part is like they talk about you know hunters will talk about using every part of the animal mm -hmm. you know and it's the same sort of to me the same thing as like how do we get to a place where we aren't wasting um we aren't throwing things in the trash we are in a reuse society um and making things out of you know non-toxic materials obviously plastic is problematic um for lots of reasons it's a fossil fuel produced mm -hmm. uh thing it's ending up in our oceans yep. in a major way in the stomachs of birds and it's just horrific and so yeah so i, mean, I want to go back to you said you thinking through the time all of the plastics that you've ever used so a statistic the average american goes through 185 pounds of plastic a year wow that's just one year that's one person that's the average when you look at corporations they go through a lot more right so thinking about those things when you think about it's a fossil fuel nine percent's been recycled of everything that's been created 12 percent incinerated the rest is still literally in the environment whether it's in a landfill in the ocean or in your community right. or your forests right and so it, it is a huge problem. Right. We, uh, uh, I'm a part of uh, Climate Action Cottage Grove, and we did a film series, and I do recommend listeners listen or watch the film Plastic Ocean uh, in order to get a sense of what is really happening. It just made me think about plastic shampoo bottle I used when I was my daughter's age, 12. Where is it now? It's somewhere, it, ex it exists, mm -hmm. somewhere probably in the ocean. Every, every second of every day, and this is a study done by the World Economic Forum. So every second of every day, the equivalent of one dump truck of plastic is dumped into the oceans. Repeat that one more time. Every single day, uh -huh. according to the World Economic Forum, every second of that day, a dump truck of plastics goes into our oceans by 2050 if we continue this trajectory there will be more plastic in the ocean than animals this problem isn't just a resource problem this problem is a fossil fuel problem this problem is a natural gas problem because plastics are now being made out of natural gas this problem is a world disaster waiting to happen. It's a slow motion disaster in some ways. It is and it isn't. Plastic has only been around since the 1900s. 
It's been 120 years. It is the disposable culture that we live in that has accelerated this. It's con it's a consumer culture, and Correct. plastic was you know when it when it was a I I feel like I've seen montages of you know the amazingness of plastic when it first developed. I mean, for medical reasons, it's a, there's, there's uses of plastic that maybe make some sense. There's the, lots of them. Yeah. But the way that, that but it's, yeah. A plastic spoon. Mm -hmm. At what point in our society did, did we determine that it is better to take a bunch of energy, put it into extracting oil, transporting the oil to a refinery, to be made into a plastic resin that is then transported somewhere else to be made into a single spoon transported somewhere else wrapped in plastic film transported somewhere else to be marketed transported somewhere else before it even gets to a consumer it goes right in a plastic trash bag after it's used for five to ten minutes and then goes into a landfill or worse Right. Cigarette filters are even worse. Mm. And so when you think about just that upstream part before it even gets to the consumer. Right. That's where you actually see the carbon footprint of stuff. Mm -hmm. oh, it's a lot to take in, honestly. It is. And the way that eco-generation approaches it with that system's perspective, which is rather unique. We don't advocate bioplastics because there's actually a lot of issues with bioplastics. So when you look at systems, there's always going to be a give and take in that web. Mm -hmm. Everything's interconnected. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing to reduce on the give and take is omit get rid of out of your life the more you decrease the less strain it is on the system even if it's just plastic straws get rid of plastic straws for an entire year and you can reduce your plastic footprint by up to three pounds just by plastic straws correct wow especially if you use them more than average and the average person uses three to six straws a day Wow, that's incredible in itself. I didn't, I cut, I pretty much cut plastic straws out of my life and um, plastic cups has been uh, another one that I know that, I know these are doable, right? Correct. Like but, these are, these are some doable. But ponder this, you said plastic straws. I keep saying straws. The difference is, is if you go to paper straws mm -hmm. and you don't compost them, you send them to a landfill, it's likely to create methane in a landfill. Ah. And so that's in no way better. In that perspective, believe it or not, that plastic straw is better in a landfill. Wow. Because it's fixed in its state. And, and it off-gasses at a much slower rate. Right. It doesn't actually turn into methane. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, paper also does do a carbon storage, so there is some economic and climate benefit to paper going into a landfill. The issue is, is if it gets wet and starts 
going into an anaerobic state, that generates methane. So if so for paper, it's kind of a good idea to keep paper out of a landfill altogether. Yes. Either paper recycle it or compost it in your home garden. Correct. Composting. Okay. That's the absolute best because if you're composting at home, that's carbon sequestration. So there's a tiny bit of that that will happen in a landfill. But if you do it at home, that is all going into the carbon sequestration. Well, so there's a other there's this argument that I've heard with throwing food waste into a landfill. Okay, there are people that think that when they throw their food into the garbage, they're helping the composting process of the landfill. Absolutely not. <laughs> Thank you. So, unequivocally, 100% no. What happens when food goes to a landfill, and there's actually currently a countywide education initiative around this, Food does not compost in the landfill. Because there's no air, right? There's no air. Yeah. Without air, it goes into an anaerobic state. So what happens is, is there are microbes that will eventually start eating on it, but they don't breathe air. So they off-gas or exhale methane. Mm-hmm. Methane is naturally occurring, just like carbon. But when they're exhaling the methane, they're also liquefying that food. So at the bottom of the landfill, there is a drain to drain off something called toxic leachate. That leachate has to go to a water treatment facility because it is so toxic. If it seeps into groundwater, it can contaminate it beyond drinkability. Mm -hmm. So when you're putting food into that cycle, you're contributing to the largest portion of greenhouse gases from a landfill, which is methane. Mm. Which is a much more potent greenhouse gas. Up to 40% more potent. Depends on who you ask and what the source is. Um, Sometimes it's cited as 10%, sometimes it's 20%. Lane County, I'm pretty sure, endorses the, it's 20% of the methane. Or uh, 20 20 times more potent, rather. My apology. Um, Residential household waste is one-third of the landfill but most of that tends to be food um i can pull some waste audits from lane county and give you more exact numbers or connect you with someone who can actually tell you what the exact percentages are because when you look at it, it it becomes an astounding realization that we spend all of this energy on cultivating food that we then turn into methane to further destroy us. Right. It's a huge energy suck and then output in the worst way possible. And when you look at the deforestation for farming, for agricultural development, it further worsens that side. So food waste really, there's huge carbon or huge climate implications for food waste beyond what people will ever realize. Right. And so this is also part of your education piece, but so far, do you, do you see in the future maybe looking at food waste and, and more community-based composting as well? Is so that- pre-COVID, we had signed on to doing the Eat More Waste Less campaign with Lane County. We have all the tabling stuff for it. <laughs> I got it, and I think three weeks later, 
give or take. We actually suspended all programs and then we came back in the recycling capacity. But for interactive displays, this is not the time we can do that. So we have to wait until we're able to actually interact again in a safe environment. Right. That was going to be one of my questions, too, is how has the pandemic affected you, what you've been doing? Uh, just a, a little bit of background. I, I Like I mentioned earlier, I, I know one way it did. Uh, we had been planning with Climate Action Cottage Grove, a big um, cl- town hall on climate, and we had all these great people coming to table, including you, and you were going to do maybe even a take back as part of that event, and then kaputs. Like, we were all ready to go. So, we, we had actually nixed the take back because of the size that it had gotten to. Yeah. Um, but what we were going to do is actually bring this highly interactive food waste game where you would learn where's the optimal place to actually store your fruits and vegetables so they don't go bad fast Mm -hmm. um tip most people put everything in the fridge and that's not really where it should be going um but that kind of pandemic happened and yeah so you had to suspend all operations all take backs all events all everything that you were doing yes um so what most people don't know is i Put a lot of stock into eco-generation as a means to keep me busy. Um, I had a stroke. I got really sick. I was told I couldn't work anymore. I used to teach counseling and psychology and substance abuse counseling. Mm. Um, and so I put a lot of energy into eco-generation. So when the pandemic hit, I have an autoimmune disorder. If I get COVID-19, there's very little chances I'll survive. So our board did decide to suspend all programs and all services for a month. Yeah. You are considered, you're high risk. I am high risk. Yeah. Um, And it actually, it did upset a lot of people because a lot of people have come to rely on our recycling. Mm -hmm. And we understood that and we felt really bad. But when you look at our volunteers, a lot of them are in high risk categories. Mm -hmm. And if we're not, they have family members who are. Mm-hmm. I know that we've had climate action people at some of our events, doing events with us. I can't ask most of our volunteers to put themselves at that risk. Yeah. Um, the next implication of COVID-19, even though we advocate highly against disposables, you're going to see us with disposable gloves and masks. Yes, we have upgraded to face shields to reduce it. Thankfully, we will be recycling those. Um, But again, prevention is better than recycling. So COVID-19 kind of made us question some of what we do and how we do it. Right. Absolutely. I mean, that's been an issue, I feel like, with a lot of volunteer organizations probably across the world because there's so many retirees that Correct. are retired from their careers and then they volunteer to keep busy and Correct. keep and those tend to be in that higher risk category because they're older and so so a lot of places that do education though that's a big piece of what they do they're able to take that online we've right. always done that online but a big key piece of how we actually can convey our message in a impactful meaningful way of getting people to just look around behind us look at how much plastic's there right and so 
we haven't been able to do that in that medium. And so a month after the stay-at-home order was issued, we did gain declaration as essential services. Um, my volunteers have all actually signed waivers um, releasing COVID-19 as well as any and all inter injuries because our dedication is to preventing all of this from going to the landfill. And so we did come back really quickly in comparison to other community collectors of 245. Mm -hmm. So, and you have been able to do, you have picked, so you've picked back up and you've done a few events since uh, uh, the we, pandemic began. Correct. So we've actually done more than a few. We picked back up, I want to say in late June. Mm -hmm. um, and when we picked back up, we slowly started putting our schedule back in place. Uh, we've had all of our monthly takebacks this last month. Um, and then we also added Eugene. And that was really big for us because our mission statement directly ties waste to climate and to the carbon footprint. Mm. And we, when we did come back, we experienced an influx of people coming from Eugene to Cottage Grove. So this is indicating this is a service that isn't found in Eugene in the way that you offer it. And in so the way people that we were traveling it. to you and I think I you know we discussed earlier off off the record that people come uh you know in, in Oak Ridge people will be driving from far places because it's so desirable what what you're Correct. going and on. Initially people were tra traveling from Douglas County that doesn't have recycling services at all. Right. We were okay with that. Yeah. Because it did provide us, A, it provided us more material, but it provided them an outlet to be responsible stewards. Mm -hmm. A lot of the people who were coming up came up anyways because they were farmers with the farmer's market. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's kind of where that whole thing came from. But then when Eugene residents came down in mass in multiple cars... There was a moral and ethical dilemma that I had, and that was how is, no matter the amount of material they bring, how is this in any way carbon positive? How is it in any way beneficial? Right, if people are putting out that carbon footprint of driving and... 101 and people came to our first event from Eugene. Our very first event was one of the busiest ones that we had ever had in and that just Grove. happened right so that was the one it was i want to say in june in cottage grove oh wait okay the Sorry. one that just happened was the very first one we ever had in eugene in eugene but you're saying 101 people, people total came or from eugene no from eugene traveled to cottage grove oh on our gosh. first recycling take back oh my gosh <laughs> And you just had your first one in Eugene. You're going to yes. start offering this. This is obviously a big expansion because you had a huge turnout. We had to start turning people away before the event was even over because the wait time had already exceeded an hour and a half for some people. And so we knew that if we didn't start respectfully turning people away, 
we would have been there all night. Right. <laughs> and uh, you do these kind of take-backs. You have a good volunteer team that uh, helps out with the take-backs? So we have a good volunteer team, but we definitely need more for Eugene because when we were doing them in rural areas, two or three tables was enough. Mm-hmm. Um, we had also established and been here a while, so people were used to us. They knew our standards. Right. Um, when we expanded into Eugene, part of the weight issue really was people unfamiliar mm-hmm. with eco-generation um, or people who had not actually had an option to recycle this, who'd been collecting since the recycling roundup that Eugene ha- uh, that Lane County Waste Management had more than 18 months ago. Right. And so quantity definitely is an issue when we first come into an area. Right. Yeah, I haven't been able to make it to a take back, so I have quite a collection of myself. <laughs> so, um, but but so so you need this is a good. You need volunteers for Eugene. Correct. So this is something that um And we also need volunteers in other outlying areas. At some point we really really our desire is to go into communities in Lane County, mm-hmm. whether that is a very small community such as Cresswell or even smaller or as big as Eugene itself. And so when you look at that volume, when we were only in Cottage Grove, Cresswell and Oak Ridge, we had already supplied more than 10% of the total plastics for all of Lane County. And those were not coming from the largest communities. That's small. Yeah, those are very small communities. And that was actually only 50% of what we actually took in. Because 245 is only about 50% of our recycling program. Right. So when you look at it, our convenience factor inspires people to actually decontaminate their own plastic. People want it to be easy. Yes. And I, I have volunteered for you once, and there is, you definitely have high standards for how to take back uh, recycling. And just for listeners who are in the area or inspired to come to one of the events that Eco Generation holds of takebacks, ecogeneration.org is where you're going to find all the standards, everything that you can recycle in, in detail, as well as the standards by which it needs to be taken back because for those streams, I mean, that's a whole nother load of work mm-hmm. that we were putting on uh, with the Lane County run thing. If those standards weren't met with the Lane County run, they just went in the garbage or even like we just said with, um, well, maybe I don't know that for sure, but I do know in China when it gets shipped, if it wasn't a certain standard, they just toss it. They don't have the time or the manpower to do that. So, so right that before... is the one thing that you need your the participants who want to recycle to take those extra steps because it's just so i want to talk about contamination for a minute because this is a very huge problem and it's kind of hard to simplify it okay contamination caused oregon department of environmental quality to permit and allow haulers in oregon to throw tons upon tons of recycling that was designated by the consumer and put in the recycling bin, it was permitted to go into the landfill. And that was because there was no user. 
it wasn't just plastics that ended up in the landfill. It was everything. And it, I'm not saying everything that was collected ended up in a landfill. I'm saying everything in bales and in tonnage bales was permitted to go into a landfill because nobody wanted it and there was no storage. Right. Recycling is just slowly coming back because what China did is if they couldn't recycle it and they couldn't unload it, i.e. ship it to another third world country, then they would burn it. It would end up in their landfills. Lots of China landfills are actually really close to big bodies of water, rivers, hence the reason why a lot of plastic ended up in the oceans. Everyone wants to point to specific countries that are third world countries as the people who did it. But it's not true. It was the United States and other developed nations. It's first world countries. Whether it be our recycling or our demand for stuff. Right. Because that stuff is created in these same third world countries. That stuff drives the need for more plastic. You know, I did, uh, maybe you saw, did you see this article recently by the New York Times? It, it talked about the plan for the fossil fuel industry to flood Africa with plastic. I haven't read, I, I, I was hoping you'd read it, but you haven't either, maybe? I haven't read it fully, but here's the issue, is it's not just the plan for Africa. It's not just the plan for third world countries. Right. Currently, Chevron, Exxon, and a few other very large petrochemical companies have a $4 trillion investment in plastic production facilities across the United States. Plastic production is expected to increase around the world. Right, as as there's a divestment too, and it's sort of their their way to it's, grasp at the straws that are not, of a dying industry. We hope to be a dying industry. It's not just the way of grasping at those straws. At one point, plastic was created from the byproduct of gasoline, mm-hmm. and now they use crude oil. They use natural gas, which, by the way, natural gas, also known as methane, and a million other greenhouse gases, isn't a transition fuel for anything. For plastics, for energy production, it's not viable. Yes, we have a lot of it, but if every containment we had of it fails on the surface, we flood the atmosphere with so much that it will kill us. It will kill the planet. We need to stop pulling oil out. We need to stop pulling natural gas out. Plastic is directly tied to almost all fossil fuels. And then when you think about coal, it's still a huge power component in third world countries where our plastic is being created. So yes, We may be looking at the dying out of the fossil fuel industry in America through pressure, but oil's picking up in third world countries. Mm -hmm. Coal is picking up in third world countries. Mm -hmm. And so is quote unquote biomass energy. And so part of what eco-generation does is it's not just the recycling and the plastics. Yeah, we got subjugated into that kind of quickly when we came into the scene. 
and our reputation is highly around that. But for three years, I've, I've focused really heavily on, I think people need to understand what they're buying into, the society they're living in, um, whether it be plastics, paper, metal, electronics, everything has a carbon footprint. We know that. We've talked about that a couple times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the whole reason why eco-generation supports and aligns itself so tightly is because we are able to kind of go back and forth on each other's platforms and say, hey, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so when you look at stuff, it has this massive impact on the environment. Consumerism has a bigger impact on the environment and your carbon footprint than any other sector. It's 48% of your footprint. Is what you buy. And how you dispose of it. And how you dispose of it. And all of those upstream effects. Right. And everyone loves to blame corporations. Yes, there is blame on corporations. But you know what else? If we didn't buy this, if we didn't buy into the system... It wouldn't be this bad. Right. But, well, that's the big, uh, you know, awesome piece of eco-generation and the education portion. And I think it's really hard for people to digest that. Yeah. You know, it's sort of the same. I find the same thing when I talk about climate and I bring up the latest science. It's dark. It it's is. It's dark. It's disturbing. And it's, and it's overwhelming because we have been, I mean, especially our generation, I'll be... 40 oh my gosh this year but uh but you know our generation totally grew up in a uh, in a consumer uh plethora like it's like we're in the golden ages of the fossil fuel your your yours is the consumerism mine because i just turned 30 okay (laughs) is the disposability right fast food fast instant gratification you always need to be eating something you always need to be drinking something right you always 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 have to have something right i mean we're we're sold and and taught we're you know it's i i often struggle with this because i i want the the blame of the corporations and then the responsibility that we have to understand the stream the amount of of resources that go into each item that you buy what it happens to it after you throw it away um and remember I, science can only hypothesize how long that will be here right it's yeah, only a hypothesis well right because to, who's living 10,000 years to come back and check you know yeah. it's you said yourself it's been 120 years of plastic for instance you and know? all and the but consumer. 9 and 12 percent right so 21 percent collectively and those numbers can easily be disputed right because I mean you're trying to generalize this massive industry right that is Part of the petrochemical industry, part of oil giants. You and I both know what have they done for the last four decades with actual evidence and well, research. Well, and also a lot of the some of this research comes from their industry. Correct. So there's Most a lot of, of like, yeah, there's a lot of this the information coming from the sort, and they want to paint themselves looking good. So, so. <laughs> but we've looked at the manufacturers of plastic, but let's also look at the largest corporations that consume plastic. Pepsi and Coke 
are the number one plastic pro- consumers slash producers in the world. Most people don't know that even their aluminum cans have plastic in them. There's a plastic lining. And I think it's really important that as a society, we need to actually look at what is going into not only products, but our bodies, Mm -hmm. on our bodies. Um, What's the impact? I think that we have a, a big problem, obviously, with plastics coming coming into our food system uh there's something i i I think i heard a horrifying statistic about you know every uh, person on the on an average year consumes a credit card size amount of plastic or something maybe it's worse you look like you have a worse statistic (laughs) ready for me (laughs) it, it is pretty bad um, so there's some research that says that you breathe in a credit card size Oh, yeah, because my... Into your lungs. Yeah. Um, other research indicates that you eat a, plas- a plastic credit card amount in a month. Oh, in a month. I had that wrong. Um, I thought it took a whole year. Some, no, there are some that say a year, but more research and more technologies are being developed. They actually have, for the first time ever... Recorded microplastics in human organs. Wow. Well, they found, I know they found it on, like, the top of uh, the French Alps. Like, they found microplastics. So, they're in so, the air. They not are just traveling. that, but they are also at the very highest point in the world and at the very lowest point in the deepest ocean. There is not a place in this world that plastics has not contaminated. Wow. The re- I don't know if you were aware, but the Nep- uh, Nepalese side of Mount Everest was shut down for several months during peak tourist season because a combination of extreme temperatures for the area, so snow melting, exposed, I, I think they said something around 27,000 pounds of litter and human waste was removed from Mount Everest on half the mountain. So even the people who are hiking and you would you would you would think that you know the people going to hike Mount Everest would have the sensibility to pack in and pack out and take care of their waste have it's just well sadly unfortunately anymore take. hiking Mount Everest is a executive multi-million dollar multi-millionaire who does it who doesn't give two about the planet right no matter what they say right and no matter how much they invest in commercials that say they'll be net zero and they could even be the richest people in the world or the one single wealthiest person in the world so can i switch gears just a slightly and and just that uh, a little bit about like wh- how you landed in Cottage Grove and what you know how you grew up or maybe like if you were to try to understand what drives you to care about this to put your life's work at least up to at least at the present moment into this uh, why do you you know when you reflect on your life maybe tell us a little bit about your. Uh, upbringing and then uh, maybe what brought you to Cottage Grove and 
what about your upbringing do you think makes you care about this? Um, I don't really talk a lot about my upbringing in relation to work with the exception of saying that my entire life I have been extremely dedicated to recycling. Um, at ages as young as I can remember, at age 11, I got really mad and threw a ketchup bottle out of the recycling because it still had ketchup in it. Are you serious? Um, Since 11. This is, in, this is real. In, in elementary school, I would help sort colored paper out of white paper, take staples off of paper, and take tape off of paper because that's how it would get recycled at that time. Awesome. So this has been... If I would have... If you would have told me when I started college that when I was 30, I would be the executive director and founder of EcoGeneration and that all of the education I was about to go through really was and wasn't relevant. It was because I didn't grow up really liking people. Mm-hmm. So it taught me the people skills I needed and it taught me the ability to research. Without that, I wouldn't be here. The whole premise behind eco-generation, I don't mention often because I don't want people to think that I'm egotistical, but I started eco-generation because it took me six months to find a single way to recycle. I have multiple college degrees. I'm a research major and I taught at universities. If it took me that long, how long would it take other people who have maybe 10 minutes of their lives to dedicate to trying to help reduce their footprint? Mm -hmm. I mean, let me ask you this. Before eco-generation came around, how much did you really consider waste in your carbon footprint? It's a, it's a complicated question because I feel like I've been, uh, you know, I came to Cottage Grove to Apervecho, which mm-hmm. was a, a sustainable education place. So that, that definitely has laid groundwork for just holistically, but I, but I'd say it was very a holistic thinking mm-hmm. about it. And, um, but how much I did you s- connect it to the actual percentage of your footprint? Not enough. Not nearly enough. I mean, I've, I feel like just sitting here to win this conversation, I've learned things and mm-hmm. I also, uh, that I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also am reminded because I think we all tend to relax and kind of, you know, it, it's hard. It's hard to wash out all the dishes mm-hmm. and to think with ever, I mean, I hate shopping. Okay, I used to like shopping before I thought hard about it. Now Same. I hate going shopping because I have to consider. Before the China ban, it's I terrible. was the very stereotypical went from never having anything to I had disposable income, so I would spend it on stuff. Yeah. Okay, now all that money goes into eco generation. <laughs> Not kidding, but the reason I asked you that is I know what your background is. Yeah. And so if that's your background, you come from the holistic right. approach right. of composting's good, this is good, but still never not realizing the mm-hmm. exact implications. Right. Every day I learn more implications. 
Right. But that's what I'm, that's also what I'm saying is that these things are hard for people to, you know, digest. And mm-hmm. I think what, what advice can you give to, you know, people listening to not get overwhelmed in ways, you know, how can we, uh, Start. encourage people to, where would you advise them to So to I always advise people start with a waste audit. What is the number one thing you find in your trash can? Mm. Okay. Now we know what that is. Is it absolutely necessary? If it's not, is there an alternative? Whether it be, okay, yes, say people who have diabetic supplies. You can get individually wrapped needles or you can get multi-packs of needles. The multi-pack will have less plastic film. If you're the only one in the house and you're the only one using your needles and doing it that way, that's fine. So thinking about things on how to reduce that item. Um, Oftentimes, a, a large number of times, we hear a lot of disposable items are the number one. So whether it be chip bags or napkins, paper towels, paper products, we kind of lump into one group, mainly because the, that's an easy way to exchange that, throw it in your compost. All paper products that don't have plastic on them. But starting with a waste audit allows you to kind of just see where you're at. It brings it into your awareness. Um, the next thing really is think about all the times that you're going out somewhere. How many times do you eat out? The average American eats out a lot. You and I are not the average American, but the average American hits drive throughs all the time. It's especially worse right now because the whole let's keep our economy going, support jobs, support local businesses, Okay, that's great, but we also can't use durables, even though there's less of a chance of it having COVID-19 than the disposable. And so thinking about that and thinking about, okay, do you really need all those hot sauce packets? (laughs) My cat has joined us. Um, Do you really need hot sauce packets? Because if you think about it and you look in your fridge, I'll bet you have hot sauce in your fridge. Um, So thinking about small change, a small step might seem small to you, but if everyone took that same small step, the impact is going to be significant. Um, So a great example of that, Plastic Free July, we teamed up with a company that sells bath products outside of plastic. No plastic containers, no plastic in the shipping. We prevented 67 containers from being needed at an average, just random 67 grab out of a personal care bag. That's about three and a half pounds of plastic. Wow. And so small steps like that add up. Yeah, I got myself a set of, uh, this is the little things that I I have taken on, which is 
researching um, companies that make like deodorant in non-plastic containers. And let me tell you, I can just tell you with that wormhole that it is, it's not easy to do the research to find the product that you like in the right packaging that you like. Um, and to make sure that it doesn't have ingredients or isn't sourced from other things right. that are driving climate change, right. such as deforestation or that isn't driving driving habitat loss. Right. So so my like the one way that it's made it easier for me is to just take on like one thing at a time and mm -hmm. just move slowly and say, you know, I hope to cover like five items this next year that I purchase all the time that I know I could do better in that area. And then steel, I did get steel straws, mm -hmm. um, uh, so that I have those. And then also, um, one of these things, you know, you're making me think deeper about the paper, but if we forget our our cups and we we go through I don't go through the drive through much to get like frozen drinks or whatever mm -hmm. uh, at a coffee shop but everyone my daughter loves it so I'll go and I will say can you please put her smoothie in a paper cup instead of a plastic cup and then we can bring it home and recycle it or compost it um but she drinks them so fast that the cups they stay they they don't melt <laughs> so my suggestion would be reuse that cup as many times as you can but nine times out of ten the paper cup that you think is paper has a plastic has lining plastic. yes so this is a problem too the best so the best is to make sure you have your dishware kit and i know you at some of the events i've seen you selling sort of like these kits and it's a mindset shift it that is. we and during covid we definitely touched on that it's extra hard right now it is so our intention was actually to move um Pre-COVID, our intention wasn't to go to Eugene at mm -hmm. this point. It was to kind of try and convince more people to use our durable set that is a loaner set. And also try and work with some businesses to maybe start using durable to-go containers where you would pay a deposit to have it and we would kind of be facilitating that. Um, obviously, that's not going to happen right now. Right. I would love to see that too with, um, you know, pizza, for instance, like mm -hmm. pizza boxes, the cardboard production that is going through pizzas. And I love to get a good pizza. We just had a new great pizza place open in Cottage Grove and I have ordered from there to go. And I'm like, oh, this pizza box, man. Why so, can't I just own a pizza box? I take, you know, and exchange yeah. it and they So and the interesting it. thing is, is the cardboard pizza box isn't a super big issue. I'm really concerned, though, about Pizza Hut's new bioplastic box. Oh. That they said is supposed to be better. Um, cardboard boxes compost. Uh-huh. At one point, I said we don't endorse bioplastics, and that's because it's a whole nother issue. Yeah. Most bioplastics, the polymer that gets the plastic nurdles to adhere to each other is biodegradable in industrial facilities, but it breaks down to microplastics. There are a few truly biodegradable compostable plastics. They have to go to industrial facilities because they take decades. Most of it ends up in the landfill. Right. And it just generates methane and contributes to the toxic leachate at the bottom of the landfill. Yeah, and there's a lot of companies, I feel like, that are selling compostable plastic or, like, 
that kind of thing mm-hmm. that you're talking about. And most of these industrial composting places, where do you take it? So no one takes it. And the reason, so Rexius, so it's, it's greenwashing. It's it what's is, known as greenwashing. That is all it is. Yeah, it is greenwashing, but it it's greenwashing almost on steroids because the amount of money that goes into it and into the lobbying and the um, advertising for it is absurd. Because if we actually took that money and maybe created an industrial facility that would actually deal with their garbage, mm-hmm. then it'd be different. But the next big issue that I have with bioplastics, it's often coming from genetically modified ingredients Mm -hmm. that are sprayed with pesticides Mm -hmm. and herbicides, including things like Roundup and whatever the one that starts with a D is, that dicumba, Mm. which, yeah, in trace amounts are okay, I guess, according to research, which I don't agree with. But it's a toxin that builds up in your system. Right. And so how is putting our food on bioplastics really better in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, I remember there being like a a corn fad, like a a corn plastic sort of fad. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, brings up those same issues of, you know, same with biofuels is a similar... Uh, thing when everyone got into biofuels mm-hmm. like growing all of that biofuel is a huge impact in itself um, yes so it's problematic and, and then the other issue with the corn plastic is we all know corn is ethanol mm-hmm. as it's breaking down it literally has a grease-like slick from the ethanol um i have composted so tidy cats came up with this or no arm and hammer came up with this corn cat litter i have lots of cats they're all indoor which for me creates massive issues that i have to figure out (laughs) um and so i went to the to the arm and hammer corn and it created an oil slick essentially that killed everything in my yard oh wow in that area wow so that is in no way, in any way, shape, or form, better. Wow. So. You need a, a little, I have a three-year-old, and so I have a, I have a sandbox out in my yard. That's where my cats go, which is a terrible scenario for your kids. I live directly <laughs> on Cottage Grove Lorraine Highway. Oh, you're, yeah. My so cats, cats and, outside. yeah. No. Yeah. Um, so... I think that we went over a lot of information here and um, it's just so cool. I feel very inspired that you have taken on this project because it's bringing a lot of awareness even to me and to all of the community and it's obviously really wanted and needed. We're living in an era right now where people understand that we are in Uh, If you're paying attention, you understand that we're in a climate crisis, and this is a big element of uh, how we have to shift our living. Um, You and I probably both went through this moment with the pandemic where we saw such possibility in the beginning, you know, like, this could be the thing. Oh, you mean when China's factories turned off, and for the first time in over 50 years... The recorded amount of pollution out of China was at its lowest point since the industrial era started. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of... That lasted 
I want to say 14 days, and then the factory started turning back on. Yeah. I mean, I feel like there was this blip of time when we saw that possibility. And mm-hmm. we all know, with the pandemic, how quickly we can make change. Correct. And humans are super smart. We are totally capable. And so, to offer... Um, you know, these kinds of conversations to our local community and to other people, I think is key. And this is the kind of stuff I want to talk about because mm-hmm. I um, pay too close attention well, <laughs> to then, what's going so on. So the impact that you can also have. So in terms of recycling, we used to ship it to China and around the world. Mm-hmm. Eco Generations recycling is all done in the continental United States. And the biggest program that we do, which is Lane County's, is actually done in Oregon. The 245s are all processed and remanufactured to a usable feedstock for products in Oregon. Mm -hmm. So the carbon footprint is completely slashed. Mm -hmm. I like to refer to it as ethical recycling. Not only do I know where my recycling is going, mm-hmm. but I oftentimes know how it's processed. I've seen some of it. Um, I've seen the various processes. And I know at the end of the day, it's not being shipped around the world. Right, which is a whole other carbon footprint Correct. aspect of it. Um, cool. So, you know, I see that your organization is doing, you know, thinking first before we consume and purchase um, different things. And then, you know, if you are, and if you are producing this waste, the service of having somewhere where it can go for a second life or a third life or fourth life, it's just so important. And um, it's got me thinking a lot. And and I, I wanted to highlight your medical use earlier is a very valid use of plastic. Mm hmm. There are reasons why people need to drink from bottled water. Yeah. I mean, emergency. Don't shame people. It's better to approach it open-hearted. Right. That has been our position. By approaching it open-hearted, that's how we've been able to inspire people. Right. Who wouldn't otherwise? Yeah, we don't want to shame people into anything. I think having people willingly walk the right direction is... And and so I think having those open dialogue discussions mm-hmm. that we wanted at the Climate Town Hall, those are going to be key going forward. I know that we've been fighting for climate action for a very long time, and it's been a very long, tiresome fight. Mm-hmm. But I think that doing these things are still opening more and more eyes. By doing that, it does create the change that we hope to see in our in our lifetime. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I guess my advice, too, for listeners is thinking about, I I loved your advice of, you know, looking in your garden, like, literally looking in that place where you just throw something and forget about it and haul it off and dump it over a ledge or whatever, like what we do here, you know, really take the time and look in there and say, what can I cut off? And if you have... What can I just cut off? If you have a little bit more time, you can always support something called EPR, which is Extender Producer Responsibility Legislation. We are trying to make manufacturers liable. We are trying to force them to make things to actually be reused and recycled. We are trying to ban planned obsolescence in electronics. 
everyone says that this is what they support. Well, the legislation's there. California is leading that right now. It's in their session. Oregon, we tried getting it into the short session and we weren't successful. We're trying again for the long session. But there's also the Federal Plastic Pollution Act. Mm. And it's important to not only just blindly support things like this, but know what it is. Mm-hmm. How Be- can people find out more about that? Um, so going to Geeko Generation's Facebook, you'll find more about the Plastic Pollution Act, stuff like that. And Plastic Pollution is the big Facebook group for that. Um, and then locally for EPR, Extended Proofs for Reliability, or Responsibility rather, go to Bring's website because they have a very clear, succinct, this is what it is, this is what we're trying to do. Um, we already have EPR programs in Oregon. Mattresses, TVs, we're trying to force it right now on prescription drugs. Mm-hmm. And it literally makes... It forces industry change. It's right. everything that we all keep saying we want. Right. And you you just mentioned Bring Recycling, which is an awesome organization up in, uh, in business in Eugene that um, you can bring, like, construction Correct. Uh, recycling to and Correct. paint recycling. And they do a great, so, cool nonprofit. Um, sure. A great couple resources in Lane County is going to be Bring because you can donate Um, architectural and construction materials which comprise a very large portion of our landfill as well Um, you can buy items that were donated so you're you're closing the loop and um, which is a key piece of recycling and reuse is closing that loop buy secondhand first look for it secondhand first Um, goes for any thrift store Others are, so there's a agency or a nonprofit called Mecca, which is big on preventing waste from going to the landfill by putting out a bunch of things for art. Um, And their focus has always been, my favorite part of their focus rather, has always been the object afterlife project that they do, which is you get a bunch of stuff that looks like trash and you're challenged to make art out of it. Mm -hmm. That's upcycling. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways to get involved, even if it's simply taking the toilet paper bag that you, the wrap, turning it into a trash bag liner and using that. At least giving it one more second life. Exactly. Yeah. And it's better to do that with that than it is to recycle it because oftentimes it gets recycled into a garbage bag. That is 60%, 60 to 80% recycled content that use more energy to do the same thing that you could have done with it. And so I don't advocate things go to the landfill. I advocate that you actually systematically think what is actually happening to this. Right. It's interesting too, because you can buy toilet paper wrapped in paper too. You can. Yeah. And And uh, so... But that brings up a whole different issue of getting additional cardboard boxes, which is contributing to lack of biodiversity in forests. It's contributing to tree farms that are cut every year. Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) 
it is it is it is it, it is deep thinking it is and deep critical thinking deep critical thinking and a lot of education but i do think we can't be afraid of it and if we just start small and you start with something small in your stream that you're creating and thinking twice about where you're buying your everything um biggest thing stop taking straws do digital receipts when possible those are free you don't have to take any actual action yeah the average american does not need a straw to drink yeah or a lid even i mean some of the time you don't even need the lid yeah most of the time when i order a soda i don't get it with a lid uh pre-covid i would take my own things um if it wasn't possible because i do have health issues i do have to go to various hospitals so disposables are heavy there I would just skip the lid. Yeah. Skipping things you don't need. Stop getting ketchup packets if you're going to go home to eat. Ask them not to give you the plastic cutlery that they're going to give you. Right. Eugene used to have an ordinance that banned it. They actually still have it, but it's not really listened to right now because of COVID. Right. In Oregon, plastic bags are technically banned thin plastic bags that aren't quote-unquote reusable which the thicker reusable plastic bags is a huge brainwash yeah i mean that was the i i've noticed that too i'm like okay so now these stores are just selling these thicker more durable so in england Ugh. in england you pay 10 pence for a bag period yeah they don't do paper bags in England because paper bags are a lot more expensive. They don't have the force that the United States does. Yeah. Um, so they do still do plastic bags. But they don't do the thicker ones because literally their parliament said, how is making this bag with more plastic going to help the situation? Right. It doesn't. Right. It actually creates an issue when you try and reuse it because it's not as flexible it won't fit most things that the thinner bag would have fit. And then for us, we bag up film in those bags. And they're nearly impossible to actually tie closed. Yeah. So it's it's greenwashing 101. <laughs> Using a brown paper bag and buying one of those isn't any better. You really need to use a durable, good, reusable bag. Like a canvas bag. Yes. So... That is, that's the biggest reason. The only product we've ever really kind of brought on board for fundraising is our 100% organic cotton canvas bags. Because I saw those on your website. They will carry up to 120 pounds of groceries. They're sourced environmentally friendly. They're unbleached. Yes, there's decals on them that came from reclaimed vinyl that was destined for the landfill. Uh, we have an artist who helped us with them. And to my knowledge, I haven't had any break. But I did test, and yes, it is 100% organic. And yes, it does compost in your compost. So we can find these on ecogeneration.org. I did see them. Um, I, I, I have a rotating. I actually have a basket. I use a but basket a lot. The best things, things you already own. Yeah, we use don't. Whatever yeah, you, we don't. How many advocate. people have bags all over their house? Yes, like for beach bags, uh, things yeah. that you take to the beach. I mean, and so we don't actually advocate people rush out and buy our bags. We actually advocate: look, 
we don't want you to buy the 50 cent bags that are made from recycled plastic water bottles because they're not going to last. You need 110 uses of those bags to be carbon neutral. Wow. You need, which you're not getting from those bags. I can guarantee you that. Um, our bags, you need 145 uses. You're going to get that and then some. Right. Our bag, and our bags, you can actually fix. The plastic water bottle ones, if you've ever tried fixing one of those, it's impossible. Yeah. You, get, you can fix it a couple times, but ultimately, eventually, it's going to tear somewhere where it's just going to keep tearing. That's another really cool thing that I, uh, I hope that we can do in Cottage Grove that I know happened in Eugene at least once maybe it's a yearly thing the fix it fair the fix it fair happens multiple times it happens multiple times and this is an event where uh you know and this is this is a thing if you're listening from another community like these things can be organized by a few people who care and want it to happen but fix it fair you can bring stuff clothing other things that need to be fixed instead of tossing it and buying a new you know um iron or lamp or whatever you have people there well, who know how to fix things other and... other things are item swaps like what you were gonna do pre-covid yeah um clothing swaps all kinds of very interactive community oriented things that you can do yeah We've done so many clothing swaps with my girlfriends that I've seen my shirts go for, from like onto like six different of my friends because like some of the clothes come back in the circle mm-hmm. multiple times and it does it gets so much more use and that actually reduces fast fashion. Yeah, which is a whole nother can of worms. Yes. So um, <laughs> I just want to say because we should wrap this up, um, but I think how can folks support what you're doing? Uh, where do they go to support, and what are, what are your needs in that regard? So we can always use more volunteers. Um, go to our website and click on support us. The link would be the volunteer tab. Mm-hmm. Um, a big thing is the financial support. We really need that. Personal protective equipment is really expensive when you look at the volume that we go through. Um, we don't actually make any money from our recycling, contrary to what a lot of people think. Um, our money comes from grassroots donors and we have three sponsors now, but even that our grassroots funding has been more substantial than corporate. Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Bring us your recycling, but the only, we beg you, please review the descriptions on our website. It has to be clean. Mm-hmm. It is not our standard. This is a standard that we are held to. Mm-hmm. And I already have a lot of materials that don't meet that standard from our drive throughs which we will probably never do again. <laughs> that you're just working your way through. Yes. So how many volunteer hours do you think you put into this? Me, myself? Yeah. Um, I did a three-month evaluation for the Master Recycler Program, and I was at over 1,100 Wow. Um, this is a full-time job times two that I do. Uh, I don't actually get paid for this. At we this have, point. At hopefully this point. we can work this out for you so that you're paid to do this kind of work. And then the other thing I wanted to... Um, I have two more sh- questions. Hopefully you keep it short. Um, how Have you found a stream for disposable masks? Yes. But it does cost money. 
Interesting, because that is something I was in Eugene the other day at this fabric store, and I walked through the parking lot, and I saw two masks just crumpled on the ground. If you're using masks that are disposable, please throw them in your trash and cut the ear loops. Oh, cut the ear loops. Yes. Because that can get caught on animals, animals. and stuff. There is a zero waste box from TerraCycle for personal protective equipment. Oh, cool. For a small box, it's, a, I want to say, 126 all the way up to $500. But a few people could get together in your community, all pitch in, what do we, you need? We you have, all pitch in 20 bucks, and you could easily get your get we, it somewhere centrally we've located. We've explored yeah. that, because um, it's how we deal with clamshells. Uh, we explored that on our end, and we determined that the health hazard, especially to at-risk people, is it kind of outweighs the benefit. And so we recommend that you do that. Mm-hmm. Um, or the other option is is a single person helping us get a box that we can actually put on location where we're not touching it after that. Right, right. Um, which is a hefty investment. Well, yeah, like I wonder, are these in hospitals, you know? like. So TerraCycle's actually been working with a couple hospitals oh, cool. to accept theirs for free. My knowledge is TerraCycle has prevented over 200,000 pounds of PPE from going to the landfill. Wow. And uh, my very last question is, how do you have the stats on how much uh, you have prevented from the landfill so the latest number i have is over twelve thousand pounds and that's not including things that haven't been submitted or weighed oh which there's a large large like like you have a holding pattern of stuff that hasn't so far gone correct to the people that take it back so wow because i deal with all of the materials i touch everything that is taken back the only exception to that was the eugene event wow well david thank you so much for sitting down with us and uh listeners in the show notes will be a link to eco generations page um and i just want to totally appreciate what you do and i look forward to seeing where this goes because i think there's a big demand for it it was a pleasure sitting down and thank you yes Awesome.